Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I am excited to be speaking with you this morning. It is early in the morning. Sun is not even close to being up. We had a great day in the operating room yesterday and took good care of some folks. And today I get to be in the office and meet a whole bunch of new patients and hopefully help a bunch of them. And I just wanted to have a conversation with you this morning for a minute. I'm going to bring you a long talk I had with a good friend, Kevin Miller is a star podcaster, a former professional cyclist and performance guide. He works with the Ziegler organization and his podcast, what uh, is called Self-Helpful. I love that title. Self-Helpful with Kevin Miller is a Ziegler branded, Zig Ziegler organization branded podcast with 400,000 downloads a month. He's interviewed Everybody you can think of, just about um, Patrick Lencioni, who's writes some of the best business books you'll ever read. Simon Sinek, who read two of the books that made a huge difference in Lisa and I's entrepreneurs, Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last. He's had John Acuff. He's had everybody, Dan Harris, everybody you can think of has been on his show, um, except one that he tells us in the episode, somebody who turned him down, which I thought was interesting. But Kevin... Um, very kindly reached out to me back in 2019 and had me on his show to talk about my book, I've Seen the End of You. And what I didn't know was that he went on to tell many people about that book and has continued to keep my name and my story close. And when he heard that I had a new book coming out, he reached out uh, to the publisher and to me and said, hey, I want to get you back on the show and talk about Hope is the First Dose. And we had an incredible conversation over three hours, (laughs) two Fridays ago. And then he said, oh, by the way, I've got a book coming out. So Kevin has released his first book, which is called What Drives You, How to Discover Your Unique Motivators and Accelerate Growth in Work and Life. This is an incredible book, and it points out a really important thing. A lot of us look at people who are really driven and who accomplish great things, and we almost it, it almost can become demotivating. We'll say, well, I just don't, I'm not wired that way. I, I'm not built the way that person is. That person seems to be able to accomplish all these amazing things and has all this drive and all this passion, and I just don't have it. But the truth is, everybody has drive a very strong energy and determination to achieve a goal or satisfy a need. We just have to learn how to make it not be dormant, and we have to learn how to apply the drive towards healthy things. He uses lots of racing and car metaphors in the book, including what gear you're in, and he goes through all the different gears of what makes a person driven, including the terrible gear of reverse. And sometimes we put ourselves in reverse and we're just going the wrong direction in our life, but we're still driving. We're still moving. And it's important to understand those things. He goes into some neuroscience, some spirituality elements, some sound business and and motivational and self-help stuff. It's just a great book. I really enjoyed it. The only thing I'm sad about is the book is out, but the audio book isn't out yet. So I've already purchased the audio book and I'm going to listen to Kevin tell his story uh, while I'm running in a few weeks when that uh, audio version comes out. And it's one of those books that I think will be helpful to have in print and in audio form. I don't recommend that very often, but I think it's going to be one of those that listening to Kevin tell it and seeing it on the page so you can highlight and make notes will be very helpful. We had a really good conversation, about 45 minutes. I uh, really enjoy Kevin. He's a brilliant man, uh, really kind, uh, generous person, but also just really insightful. And this book is going to make an impact for you. If you're trying to figure out how to get in gear and get moving in your life and understand the way you're, the way you're unique, 
makeup, the way you were created fearfully and wonderfully can come alive by finally getting into that right gear and moving forward. This book will help you. What drives you? How to discover your unique motivators and accelerate growth in work and life is the new book from Kevin Miller, published by McGraw-Hill. We had a great talk. I think it's really going to help you. And most of all, it will help you change your mind and change your life. And the good news is, my friend, it'll help you change those things starting today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Kevin Miller. He's written an unbelievable book, What Drives You, How to Discover Your Unique Motivators and Accelerate Growth in Work and Life. It's a business book, but it's also a life book. It's about how to figure out what you're about and what makes you tick, and I think it's one of the better books or best books maybe on this topic that I've ever read, and I'm very grateful to have Kevin Miller with us here today. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Man, I am so honored to be here. It's great timing as I have just had you. We just recorded together. We got to spend time last week together, about three hours, and I just recorded another show on you and your topic. And man, to come here, I love the context, and I as you just so appreciate your heart and perspective, and I'm grateful to be here. It's awesome, and I think... Podcasting has done something for me that I never expected. Getting to know other people, other writers, other people with great stories, and then inevitably they introduce you to new people. And you just you I, you found me with my last book. I've seen the interview, and we connected back then. It was one of the better interviews I've ever done. And I was just so grateful to hear from you the other day that you wanted to get back together, and then learned that you had written a book. So here we are talking about your book. I got to admit, when I first heard your name come across, I saw the title of the book. I didn't care. I just said, yeah, book him. So, wow. yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Talk about drive for a minute. Like, where'd the concept of this, of this idea come for a book about drive? The impetus, Lee, was me writing to my adult kids and realizing wow. the thing I wanted them to, for them most was just to know what they wanted and to gear their life trajectory around that and start figuring out what do they want. And that was the impetus. And yet when that occurred to me, and I remember where I was and when it was that I was thinking through this and going to write to them, it occurred to me a revelatory sense, a weighty sense that as driven as I have been, I had not always been clear in certain categories of life where I was going. And it was real convicting, humbling. Wow. For me. And I wanted to dig into what helps us know what we want, which is why. And yeah. when we put this together and really understand it, 
that's what creates drive. You don't have to go and go to great lengths to fuel it up, man. When you clarify it, it's there. So it was a work in progress for me to understand it better. And then I wanted to deliver that to my kids and then to other people. That's where it came from. Wow. Wow. So you mentioned tangentially that you've been a fairly driven person. Like I, I mentioned in your bio to the listener earlier, you were a professional cyclist. Like you have performed at the top of the top levels of athleticism and all that. Talk about your cycling career for a second, just to let people know who you are. Yeah. So I was a pro cyclist and I, I say, and I say it tongue in cheek, but it's true. I was a very mediocre pro cyclist. Yeah. I get kudos for, I was a pro. I, yeah. I got paid to ride a bike but was not real clear on my drive. So I was driving fast, but that's why I quote that in the book. Yogi Berra was cited as talking to his <laughs> wife. They're on the on their way to the baseball hall of fame. And she said they passed the same landmark three times. And she says, Yogi, we're lost. And he says, Yeah, but we're making great time. <laughs> and that was a lot of my life. I did different sports. I did different businesses. I was driven. And man, I'm grateful for that. I really am. I love being driven. I'm so grateful that I wake up every morning and I always have, and I'm not bragging. I'm just, I'm grateful that I've always, and I'm curious and I'm interested and I'm inspired to go do things. And I love people like you who are doing so much and are driven. It's inspiring. And yet that's, part that I hit in the book, that in and of itself does not provide success and fulfillment in that. We can drive ourselves crazy, literally. We can drive ourselves to hell in a handbasket. We can drive ourselves to very unfulfilling places. And I realize that, and I think most aspiring people have and are realizing that. Their drive is taken into some great fulfilling places right now today. And there's some places over here where they feel like they're driven and man, things aren't working out. And I would say their drive is out of alignment to use that that term. So that's what I play with in the book. You do carry this automotive theme throughout the book, and I think it works really well. So give us just a sense, when we look at really successful people, we look at great athletes or people who are successful in some business venture, or CEOs or, or millionaires or whatever, celebrities, what is a common misperception or maybe a myth that normal people, I'm putting air quotes around it. What is a myth that other people have about people that are extremely successful that might be relevant to our conversation today? One, it is a myth, Lee. I appreciate the question. I think it is a myth, and yet we all think we know it, but we're not doing anything about it. And it's that drive, it may equate to success in a certain category. So we all know that the person who's a celebrity, they're an athlete, they're a politician, they're whatever, right. and they achieve great success. Doesn't mean they're happy. That's right. Doesn't mean they're filled. Doesn't mean there's not massive collateral damage out there, but we applaud the success. So that's one aspect of where we go awry with drive. The other one though, is that we attribute drive to so a driven person when they are going towards something that we would deem as good, positive, productive, like with work or money or fame or power or influence or whatever. And yet if somebody is massively driven towards something that we equate as a negative, we don't give them credit for being driven like the addict. We've got 
So I think, and I say that over and over, it's so profound to me that you get a meth addict, man, they are so driven. They will kill to get that hit. They are, they are at the top of the food chain of driven, but it's not towards something productive. And so we don't give them credit for that. And the point being, I find that most of us have drive in us. We have the ability for it, but it may one, not be triggered. And two, it may be going towards something though, that's not at all fulfilling to us internally. That's right. So the key then would be to learn that we all have capacity for great drivenness or drive. It's channeling it into something productive and helpful. Yeah, totally. And that's where my book is so much of a workbook. They're actually working on that right now, creating a course and a workbook out of it because I lay it out that way. I set it up as, hey, here's the premise of drive. Here's the ingredients of drive. Now let's talk through these key areas of life because that's what we have to do. It's what, again, I did not do to some degree. Thank goodness I was fairly clear on my values, my personal values. That kept me from going vastly awry somewhere. But man, a lot of those areas that I hadn't gotten clear on, what do I want and why? And if I had, and I'd have to drill further down into that why, I tend to look at it these days. Maybe that's my next book, Lee, is the five levels of why. So here's what I want. Why? Yeah, I know. Here's what I want. Why? And I give you an answer. You're going to have to ask me why to that answer and why to that answer to get down to the very bottom of why we actually want something. If I had 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 that done to me, there's a lot of things I wouldn't have done. It would have been a great freedom to let those go to realize, gosh, I don't actually want that. And in some other areas, I think to get more clarity would have further convicted me of what I was doing. And I would have gotten there with more efficiency, with more yeah. peace. I think we erode our peace along that, which ultimately, and I end the book with this, and it continues to chew on me, Lee, honestly, that... I'm so destination focused. I'm so goal focused. And I think we as a culture are, and we forget that most of the time, the greatest joy can come from just the drive itself. And I think about that. I live up at 9,200 feet above sea level. So if you're in Colorado Springs, looking up at Pikes Peak, I live at the top. You know what? Honestly, more of the fun's all on the way up. The greatest trail are the ones up. The greatest adventure and experience is getting up there. Once you get to the top, yeah, now you're down to the, you're at the top. It's kind of like climbing Mount Everest. I heard somewhere recently, I don't know if the details are right. You spend all this time and effort and tens of thousands of dollars and near kill yourself to get to the top of Everest. And there's so much demand, literally people on the trail that you get like 12 minutes there. Yeah, 12 minutes, look around, isn't that great? And then go down. So if you didn't enjoy all the preparation and the effort to get up there, that's a pretty bad return on investment. <laughs> I think right. that's a, I guess how we live a lot of our lives, and I have in some areas as well. We talk about and on podcasts once in a while. We every the start of every year we talk about how do you get to these big major changes that you want to make, and the three things I said you wrote about all of them and way better than I could have ever said them. I said first before you make a big major change in your life, you got to get right about who you are and you know what your values are, what your past was, have the right labels on yourself. Then you got to get real about what you want. You really need to know where you're going, what you want. And then you got to get clear about how to get there so that you've given us a template, like a great template for how to do those things to get right, real and clear to make major life changes. I I just applaud you for what you've done here. Um, And thank you. And I will accept that, Lee. And yet a lot of my book too is realizing some of the places where I did go awry with my drive is 
the blindness I had towards myself. And it was really on a personal level that I knew some of my values. I knew something I wanted to go after, just like that finish line at a race, man. I wanted to go do that. But I didn't always know what was the internal thing, the personal, the self-image, the personal identity, the baggage I was trying to fulfill. And I was fairly, significantly, I would say, unaware of me, my own personal awareness, especially on an emotional level. And in missing that, that's where I succumbed to what I call hidden drives. I had something driving me, but it wasn't what I thought. And I talk about that specifically amongst finances, that I had some personal baggage there. And I let that or my unawareness sabotage me over and over. And I see that so often with people. When you see them sabotaging themselves over and over, I find that there's something driving them that they're not aware of. And man, I want to help people root that out just like I I wish I had a long time ago. Thank goodness I finally got there. Yeah, you did a nice job with that too. Each chapter... You give us these like questions and takeaways and things to think about and things to to examine yourself about. And I think that's important that you're vulnerable when you do have mistakes. It's it's vulnerable and honest to say, hey, I'm writing this, but I haven't done it all right. I'm figuring it out as I go along. You can come along with me, too. I think that's what great writing is all about is this idea there's people behind us that haven't made the mistake yet that we've already made. So let's help them not make that one. You know, I think it's great. It was, I'm trying to think of his name. Is it David Meltzer who said on my show, and he was talking about lessons and that if we keep doing something, same mistake over and over, we haven't learned the lesson. And I think we often do that. And and I'm focused on that now. Okay, that happened. Now, what can I learn from that and course correct? That I talk about that in the book that we so often that quote, somebody said it to me literally last week, Lee, and they said, Oh, it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get back up. Yeah. That's a sore spot now because I finally got to look at it. That was me. Man, I get back up and do the same stupid thing and get knocked down again and get and then get back up. I don't know that's productive. If yeah. you do that in the boxing ring, you're going to get knocked out or get a concussion and finally be brain dead that we want to actually learn so that we don't get hit by that same thing yeah. again. And that was that's been a part of my own hard knocks learning for sure. That's amazing. The, the chapter 1 of the book you tell a story about a young man who made the great transformation in his life. And you make some really good points about it. One was this idea that we we don't necessarily have to say all the things that we want if we're trying to figure out how to make progress, because sometimes we can't see a path to getting those things. But it's also equally valid to say, here's some things I don't want anymore. Talk about that for a second. Like the that person listening who's been frustrated, unable to make progress, like maybe they need to start looking at it on the inverse, like you said, thinking about some things that are no longer acceptable to them. I like the, I don't know if we call it a juxtaposition, but flipping that perspective on, yeah, we think, okay, I've got to figure out what I want. I've got to figure out what I want. And sometimes we just can't. And especially if you haven't experienced a lot, I think it's harder for people to younger folks, especially. And that yeah. sometimes like the story I began my book with, it was just looking around and going, I know what I don't want. And sometimes I think that's more clarifying the reverse psychology of how we, and you know this well, how we often tend to look at doing something new and we ascertain the risk of doing yeah thing. If I do this, could that's where we all go as humanity. And we don't then stop and turn around and go, yeah, okay, what's the risk of staying where I am? Yeah. So often that totally flips the switch. It takes the risk out of it. Go, holy smokes. It's a 
far less risk to go forward than to stay where I am now. But we don't do that. Same way here and looking at what we want, we innately do a good job of saying what we don't want. And I think sometimes it, I mean, it really goes to that aspect of we are more driven. We know that as a people by pain more than desire. And yet we're a desire focused culture. We're in the self-help industry right here. And we tend to focus on desires. And yet we know pain is the greatest motivator, which is difficult because we often then don't move until that pain is big enough. And when it's the pain's big enough, we're usually not as good of a place to do the best thing as we would have been if we had been able to step back and before things got critical, look at what we want. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, we've all experienced that. That's right. I think the best line probably I've ever read in a personal development book, and I already stole it and quoted it on my podcast. I credited you for it, of course, but I talked about it in an episode yesterday. This line that you said, we always think that we have to wait for some big event to occur in our life before we can finally do this thing. We got to wait for, I got to win the lottery, or I got to do this thing, or marry the girl, or do whatever before I can, some big platic cataclysmic thing has to occur before I can go for it. And you said, it makes a great story, but waiting for the big event rarely makes for a great life as it seldom happens to us. We need to happen to it. That's the best line in the book. Stop waiting for it to happen. You go happen to it. I love that. Unpack that for a second. That's that proactive aspect that we always talk about. But honestly, Lee, that was a revelation to me. And I'll give credit to Ben Hardy for helping me see that. And it wasn't even his point. He, so I have Ben Hardy. A lot of people know I've had him on the show multiple times. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, he wrote the book, Willpower Doesn't Work, Personality's Not Permanent. His latest books with Dan Sullivan, The Gap and the Gain have been huge sellers. And he's got a new one out now, Two, 10X is Easier Than 2X, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And he's on a show with me and he just happens to make this quip about, yeah, home life just got destroyed. And I ended up at 19, nothing going for me. And I'm playing video games for 14 hours a day. And it was just like that. He's just making a reference to to preface some other point. And I'm like, wait a minute, man, that, that violates everything that I want for my children that I think that I'm doing to help build their drive. And it violates the going along and some massive thing happening because it didn't. He's just sitting there playing video games and he finally right. has this little innocuous, seemingly innocuous dawning that if I stay here, man, this is a headed to a great place. That was it. That's wow. it. And again, we want that big thing to happen. We want the spider bite that gives us superpowers or fall in yeah. a vat of chemicals or a heart attack diagnosis or some big thing. And then holy smokes, big life change. And it got me thinking, Lee, to all the books behind me of people like you who have had these great revelations, great insights to life. They've written a book. They're ch- they changed their life. They're changing other lives. And I realized, because at the time I probably had close to 200 people on the show, m- most of them didn't have some big story. They didn't have something you'd make a movie about. They didn't. They weren't all there because they had this great gargantuan inciting incident, as Donald Miller would say, happened to him. It was just a little dawning. And that doesn't make a good story in and of itself. The story happens over here when they then went forward and did achieve the things that fulfilled them and gained them success in a big way, a big S success, I would say. And that was profound for me that, again, we get so 
enamored with these romantic notions out right. here and realize those are the exceptions, man. The day-to-day life. You remember Thomas Stanley's Millionaire Next Door yeah. book? Yeah, it was, gosh, that's 25 plus years ago. And he does this great job of going, you know what? Our millionaires, every once in a while, it's a celebrity or a professional athlete or even a doctor like you that we, that's what we look at. But those, the majority of them is the guy next door that owns a salvage yard that you're never going to hear about. He may not even have, he may have barely made it out of high school, uh, but he owns a business and he's created great wealth. Yeah, We almost want to hear that. That just takes the romance <laughs> away. It takes the intrigue away. And he's going, yeah, that's what it is. So if you want to be a millionaire, you're better off to find something that you enjoy, a product or service, own it, go and do it and create wealth. And instead of trying to be the 0.001%, that's going to be the famous icon out there that we all want to emulate, but doesn't happen. That's right. That's such a good insight that you had from your podcast, really. And by the way, uh-huh. tell us a little bit about Self-Helpful. I think as a, as an aside, you referenced a couple of times all the 200 guests and all that. And I'm one of those 200 guests, but one of the one of the less impressive ones, like you've got an unbelievable roster of people that you've had on your show. Talk about it, how that came about. I will. And I appreciate your humility, Lee. Man, you have always stood out to me. Oh, uh, people ask me a lot of times, what guests stood out the most? What was it? And I look at the ones that influenced my life. And your book, I've seen the end of you, was tremendous for me at looking at faith, at okay. looking at here I am, I'm man of faith who believes in miracles and hope and God can do anything. And I'm looking at your brain scan and you're going to die. And the reality of that was just profound, which is why we're here talking today. I had an organization teaching self-employment and I'll make a, a real long story short. And I had started podcasting. I like writing. I think like you, I enjoy mm-hmm. writing, but I realized, man, people are, this podcast audience is growing a lot faster than back then blogs and whatnot. So I'll just take what I write and I'll just talk about it. And I started there. So I had a little podcast. It's probably getting a couple thousand downloads a month. And I ended up speaking for the Ziegler Corporation. So Zig Ziegler, that the famous speaker that I grew up listening to, thanks to my folks. And I got to know Tom Ziegler, who ran the company. And I ended up going to speak with them. I spent a day with Zig, did one of his late last interviews, actually, which we wow. just showed at an event that I spoke at. And we showed a clip of that. And I got to do that. Later, he dies. I had become friends with Tom. I checked in to say, hey, where's the brand going? We saw this podcast where they'd been throwing old clips of Zig up that was still getting some downloads. And I said, hey, let's bring him into the current age and talk about the messages and bring current people like Seth Godin and Dave Ramsey on who are fans of Zig and talk about it. And we started doing that. And I had a legacy of personal development messages. So I had some chops to talk about these issues and just being a fairly adept conversationalist, I think. And the show just grew. So it was just a sideline labor of love. I had my other gigs happening. Yeah. And over time, it just grew and it grew and grew. And as the years go on, as podcasting is very personality driven. People are yeah. listening to a show for the content, but they can get that same content. Nobody has a monopoly on content. They can go right. hear similar content from somebody else. So they're looking for somebody that they resonate with. Not the best, not the brightest, but somebody they resonate with. Thank goodness, apparently some people resonate with me and the show grew, but not everybody knew who Ziegler was. And a lot of the testimony comes, I listen to the show, I like Kevin and whatever. And so it was the Ziegler show for a long time. And then we changed it to self-help full with Kevin Miller. Now we do have presented by Ziegler and that'll 
pretty much yeah. always be there. We promote them and I'm involved. I just went and spoke for them at an event. So I owe so much to them. And this is still a way to bring that message in. But man, podcasting was a great fit for me. It's such a an awesome medium, like you said. For those it fits, I'm not one of those people who thinks everybody needs a podcast, no more than I don't think everybody needs a book. But right. for those who it fits, and if you have a, a good niche, it's an incredibly powerful platform these days. It's so growing and it's such a great place for finding people that you do trust in this overwhelmingly information age where you're inundated. You're looking for people to trust for information, for products, for services, whatnot. And man, I'm so grateful for it. And yeah, like you said, the people I have met through it, I feel like you on the show last week, I would pay to go visit you and get three hours of your time. I'd pay a lot and you could command a lot. (laughs) And the fact that I actually get to do it and I actually make money is ridiculous. So that's just a, it's a dramatic privilege. It's a wonderful story of how that all came about. And I thank you for sharing it with us. And you mentioned in the book, tangentially, almost in passing, you were talking about Brene Brown and you said, she's one of only two people that have ever said no to being on my show. And I was like, who's the other one? I got to know who the other one is. Oh God. I don't even remember. I just always had in my mind, there was somebody else and it's never a no from them. It's from their people. They don't have time. Oh no. I think it was, it was, it was James Clear. Oh, wow. Comic habits, which I should, I'm big enough now to probably get him back on and never, but at the time it was like, man, he's, he just hit his Zenith and they actually said, he's not even doing podcasts at this point. He just doesn't need to, man. The book's selling 20,000 copies a week. But those are two people who I reference a lot. Brene, especially I do that. I would love to do a show. We're actually looking at doing some more in-person shows and I'd love to connect with her at a studio at some point and talk. She's been such an influence on the culture and I appreciate her message significantly. But yeah, I do. If I ever do get the chance to, I'll rub that in a little bit that at the time I didn't get a whole <laughs> lot of, I, I didn't get a whole lot of no's and I, I didn't get a, I did not get an acceptance at least. We'll say wow. that. Wow. If you're out there and you somehow are connected to Brene Brown, make sure you tell him Kevin, help, <laughs> Kevin Miller, self-helpful is the show she needs to be on. It's probably the only one she hasn't been on, but she needs to be I there. Think. That's amazing. That's a great story. Kevin, this show, my show is, is all about hope and all about how we can go through big, hard things in our life and somehow find our way back to a a place where we can see the light again. So how do you think that learning to understand how we are driven and how we can use that to to power our lives, how is that a pathway towards hope? Because I think you've given us some of that in the book. How can people find hope through this process of learning to be more driven? Lee, I think one of the reasons I resonate with you is that at the core of your message is the values you live by. And that's really, I know I shared the impetus of the book being wanting people to know what they want and being driven and committed to that. The way to do that, and I did not, again, I didn't understand this completely in coming into the book. And I realized, man, at the core of it, though, is what we value. What we believe in. And I feel experience, we're at a point in time where I feel like we are, as a culture, less aware of what we really value than ever. Yeah. We're so preoccupied, we're so distracted, and, it, and we're, the media is so volatile on black and white, either or, good, bad, just arguing for argument's sake. I'm so aware of that, that today we get a topic comes up. It's in the media and we are not hearing from the front lines. 
you know, back with COVID, I talked with docs. You probably, you're a doctor. You talked with people who are on the front lines of research and understanding that those aren't who we heard from out in the media. We heard from those who were paid to fight for their side. Yeah. That's not the truth. That's a volatile aspect. That's not the core value. That's just a fight, man. You just pay a gunslinger for that. And at the bottom is what do we really value? And I feel like we're further and further away from that. So the book is a big effort to understand what we value. Look at these key areas in life. Most people have never asked that. They may have thought of what they wanted, but what do you value? You may, do you want money? Yeah, I want money. Why? Why that? Why that? And at the core is how do you, what's your value? What's your belief? So now when that trauma happens, when that challenge happens, that disappointment happens, that loss happens, the things that you brilliantly go through in your book and have experienced in your own life, that feels like that's the hope is what do you value at the end? The reason that Mitch dying did not prove to be the end of you, of Lee Warren, or the end of your wife, or the end of one of his, Mitch's siblings, one of your kids, is I believe, my experience is because at the bottom of it, you knew a value. There was a value that you were more than the guy with the dead kid, as you talked about. Yeah. You you had a responsibility to be more, a desire to be, but even responsibility as unto God, as unto your kids, as unto humanity. And what I really love is that you said, as unto Mitch, I got a responsibility to Mitch to be better than just the guy who lost him. And that's, you're not going to amount to more than that. That value at the core to me, that feels like the root of our ultimate ability to have joy. We talk about happiness, but to have an abiding joy is knowing our values and be able to have hope is rooted in those values. When we don't know what we value, which is what drives us, how can you have hope? And as, as well as I do, that when we look at chronic illness and disease right now, my understanding is one of the fastest growing spikes in there is the diseases of despair, a term that didn't even exist that long ago, as far as I know. And it's, you call it apathy, depression, but even suicide. And that's what's growing. And I think there's a lack of hope. And I think it's at the bottom there. We don't know what we value. And so that's where I, I look at your book. And to me, it's a call. I really feel a kindred spirit with my book is is to, bring people to what at the bottom line, at the foundational level, what do you value? That's exactly right. Man, you said that perfectly. He's in the book, what drives you? You've got a little neuroscience. You've got a lot of spirituality. You've got a lot of solid like life experience and storytelling. Your storytelling, by the way, is Malcolm Gladwell quality. Like you did a really nice job breaking the stories down and just really used it as a way to drive the narrative forward. Outstanding book. So that said, Kevin, I want to tell you, I love one of your lines in the book is something that I talk about with my patients a lot. And we're having life and death conversations. I I did it yesterday with somebody who is facing an operation that if they don't have it, they likely won't be able to walk anymore pretty soon. I said, she was scared of the surgery and all the complications and wanted to go over and over about all the risks and all the things. And I said, you need to be more scared of what this disease is going to do to you if you don't fix it then you are the operation that you need to have it. And that's the scale we always have to put out there, right? What's going to happen if I do it and what's going to happen if I don't do it? And you said this, figure out, listen, listener, this is important to you. It's relevant to you. This line, figure out how to envision yourself doing and achieving the goal or 
find a reason why the goal must happen regardless. And I think that's one of the secrets to finding your way forward in this life, Kevin, is what you just said. Like sometimes we're so stuck, we can't envision ourselves doing the thing. And when we can't, we need to say to ourselves, what happens if I don't do the thing? What happens if I don't? That one, that one was profound to me, Lee. Thanks for pulling that out. I'm grateful. Thanks for your encouragement yeah. with that, that. Again, I grew up in this privilege to grow up in self-help, as my show is called Self-Helpful, in self-help, in personal development, in personal growth. And there's so much focus. Again, the shiny, the romantic, the big thing is to go out there and believe, man, get mm-hmm. to where you believe you can do it. Self-confidence and motivation and whatnot. That's great if you can do that. And yet I looked at my own life and I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that's just, oh yeah, man, I'm not going to limit myself. I can do anything. And, And yet when it came down to it, I saw some of the most important things in my life. I didn't get to that level of confidence. I just didn't get to that level of confidence. I just did it anyways. Ruth Suka, I had her on the show and her book is just do it scared. And as a kid, I'll I'll never forget it. I don't remember how old I was. I might've been seven. I might've been 13 and it was jumping off a cliff, which is probably 20 feet. But as a kid, man, it was a cliff and I'm Kevin. I'm not scared of anything. I'm confident. I'm the driven dude. Even back then I thought of myself like that arrogantly, I think. And I got to the edge. Oh, and I'm not a fan of heights. I don't think I'm, I wouldn't say I'm scared, but I have a healthy respect for heights. I always have. <laughs> I got to the edge and I thought, oh my gosh. And I backed off for a second. It, I didn't even want somebody to see that. And I got to, and then I went up and I, it occurred to me, Lee, it occurred to me, there's no way I'm going to get comfortable with this. Yeah. There's just no way I'm just going to have to jump. And I just, and I did, cause I didn't want to embarrass myself. I wanted people to think I was cool. And in that same way, I realized the same thing happened when I built my house. We built a house up here in the Rocky Mountains, a dream house. And at the time, I did not have the money. I did not have the time. And I did not have the know-how. You pretty much need, it'd be great yeah. to have three of them, at least two, and at least one. I actually had some friends, no no joke, Lee, do an intervention with my wife and me saying, guys, you're, <laughs> this is stupid. You don't have, they literally they brought this, you don't have any of those. And yet my driving conviction was, I want my kids to grow up there. It's a first world problem. We weren't living in poverty or danger or anything like that. But I just, the mountains and the space and the heart of, I just, I fell in love with it. It was such a value to my life. I wanted them to grow up there. And I had real, I had experienced my parent, my parents. I just grew up in an average neighborhood. It was after I left that they could finally afford the place. And it's an awesome compound and land and memorable stuff. And it was so powerful for my family. I thought, I want that for my kids now. And without belief, without resources, without anything, we just did it. Throwing caution to the wind. Worst case scenario is, and we almost thought it was going to happen, is during the process, we just went bankrupt and couldn't do it. Bank gets yeah. the property back and ha- however far we built. And we were close to that. My wife thought at the end, she literally went through a period of saying, we're going to move into the house, get that certificate. If you've ever built a house, you get a certificate of occupancy. We're going to move in and have to immediately sell it because we can't even afford to keep paying the mortgage on it now. Wow. That's what she felt like. And, uh, but man, I wanted it for my kids. And that was a drive, a driving thing to use that term. But that's what drove me. It wasn't because I finally got to a place of going, oh, I can do this. So that, that was powerful to me. And I've seen that, I've seen some of the most powerful things people have done not come because they got 
to a place where they could finally believe and have confidence they could do it. They just, it had to happen. There was a value big enough that overrode their lack of belief in essence. Wow. We're coming up on the end of the time that I promised you here. And I want to make sure we get to one thing is that you talk a lot about some people decide that that they can't do whatever it is that they think they might be able to do because of their family of origin or because of some genetic baggage that they inherited or some limiting belief from the past. So just talk for a second about the things that go into making us who we are and what you've learned that we can do about those things. And are we in fact stuck if our parents were stuck? Are we in fact doomed to not achieve much if our mom and dad didn't or that that sort of thing? You address it very well in the book. Thank you. I, again, it was a learning process. I think I was very lacking in compassion Lee, and judgmental for people who use genetics as I thought just an excuse, just a crutch. Yeah. And I don't want people to do that. And yet I do have more compassion to go, you know what, there's some things in our genetics and far more about genetics than I do. But it was me, it's that nature versus nurture. I just want to right. believe that it's all nurture, man. And yet I've got a lot of kids and to see them come out of the same yeah. womb with the same parents and the same environment and be so dramatically different. There must be something, this nature stuff too. And seeing that we come out and we do have what I think we have some set points, high or low. If we're going to come out, how we view and feel about money to use that one or health and wellness, that we have some set points of how our ancestors felt and how they were. And you know that from a health standpoint, yeah. literally, to what things are there. You've got some set points. And th- there can be some, I don't, uh, some limiting factors or some challenges in some of yeah. those. Seldom do I see, especially from a personal development standpoint, is that a death knell, but it may give you a place where you have to take some affirmative action in some ways. I want to get, I wanted to get it. The hope for me was getting it out on the table, though, to understand, because I think sometimes we see these struggles that we have, and we just can't figure out a justification as to why. Yeah, It's the somebody, Lee, was it you in your show? About in the, the show that we did together? Yeah, about the, there you go. That one yeah, blew tell me that story. Away. You tell it better than I did. It had the study that was done that I don't know how I found out about the study, but the study that was done with the mice where they gave them, they exposed them. It was actually to a chemical that smelled yeah, like blueberries. It smells like cherries, yeah. Cherries. I always think blueberries, cherries. And every time they say at the smell, they got a jolt. They got a, a, a little electric jolt, an, a painful experience. Obviously, they like Pavlov's dog. They learned to have a response to that. So now you give them the smell of cherries and they shy away. And of course, the remarkable conclusion that they found then that went into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation of mice. Then to feel like today, let's say that I'm not, again, I'm not terrified of heights, but let's say I have a fear of heights. And I think why I've never really hurt myself. I didn't fall off something. It makes no sense that I have this and I'm looking at it and I can just get frustrated with myself. I can get really judgmental. I can feel guilty. I can feel shame about this problem that I have with heights. And to look back and go, man, there's there's some stuff that happened in the past or likely. If I can't figure out anything else at this point, I'm going to say it must have been something in the past. Somebody was given the smell of cherries and electrocuting them. And now here today, I don't like I don't like cherries and I'm going to attribute it to that. It doesn't limit me necessarily, but it does help me have some compassion for myself and then say, okay, I'm going to have to take some affirmative action. My buddy over here, he didn't have to. He's not afraid of heights. God bless him. Good for him. I am. So I'm going to have to do something 
different. I'm going to have to take some affirmative action so that I'm not, or I may just choose a different path. I'm just going to go a direction. I do that with sports. I'm not real big on the ones that put me at great heights. I like the ones where my yeah. feet are on the, I don't like, I don't like being on the edge of a cliff and I don't like being way out on the water, man. I like terra firma. You put me on terra firma and I can do some awesome things. I can go down a mountain bike trail at high speed, like few people you've ever seen. And I'm comfortable there. I don't have a fear of that one. Some of those other ones do though. And that was important for me for yeah, compassion of ourselves and understanding what can sometimes derail our drive, this hidden drive. And especially when we can't look, we can't look back and understand, you know, why though, like you said, though, to begin this point, if we do look back and go, man, that makes a lot of sense. You know, my parents, my grandparents were refugees and came from a war torn country. And so did my parents and what they, so it makes sense that I have these fears, limitations, weaknesses. So how can I manage to overcome those? How can I mediate those? Man, it gives us so much power, opportunity, and to your point, hope. That's right. I think it's a great, overall great, tremendous work. I think the thing I took the most of it is like we can really, by learning to understand how we're wired at a baseline, we can make decisions to change those things that are limiting us. You talked about Muggsy Bogues in, in the NBA, the short guy who was a great NBA player. We can learn to look at those things that are potential set points, but we can also then take ownership of the fact that those can be mitigated or changed. And so learning then to look forward into the future, what would you say to the average person or to the person listening is the most important takeaway that you want them to have from your book? To a lot of degree, and this you'll relate to this, Lee, that you start to learn more about your own stuff as you talk about it more and more. And I wish I had given more gravity and focus to just the word clarity, just clarity. We're all out there looking for that big inciting incident to happen, to change things yeah. for us. Or we're looking to, yeah, just, ah, can I pursue this motivation, inspiration and become stronger and have more willpower and have more grit and all this stuff that we're trying to really ramp ourselves up with. And I realize kind of like the story we told earlier, that so much of the power opportunity belief that we're looking for comes from just getting clear. It's yeah. not that big a deal. It doesn't make a sexy story, but it it's just getting clear and how seldom we really are. That's what blows me away, even for myself, how seldom we go about life, we go about things that we do and we go towards and we put efforts towards and we haven't really gotten clear and honest with ourselves. And to that, I will say, Lee, I find more and more how hard it is to do by ourselves. I hope people get my book, that they read it, that it's very eye-opening and it helps them with some clarity and that they can go forward and gain great benefit from that. If you want to increase the odds dramatically, come along somebody else who has some wisdom. And I would even say a coach, a therapist, whatnot, and get some insight into yourself. It's so hard to see. We can see other people so much more clear than we can ourselves. It takes some work to get clear on ourselves. And yet I see it as maybe the greatest power. Amazing. Said, my friend, the book is What Drives You by Kevin Miller. He's an incredible writer, fascinating guy, and a tremendous podcast, self-helpful. Check it out. Other than occasional dubious guests, he's got some great people on there. I'm really grateful to know you, Kevin, and God bless you. And I'll do everything I can to help this book get in more hands for you. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm so grateful for you. 
your interest in it, your insight into it. You've helped me understand more about it today as well. Thank you. God bless. There you have it. Kevin Miller. What a great talk. I love talking with Kevin and learn so much from him every time we speak. Figure out what's going on. Get some insight. Get right, real, and clear, as we talked about before. That'll help understand the big question, what drives you? Great book. Can't recommend it highly enough. Check it out and go listen to Kevin's podcast. It's incredible. Every big thought leader that you can imagine is on his show. And recently with me too. I think my episode with him comes out today. So I'll put some links out there so you can go hear my talk with Kevin on his show. Um, Incredibly grateful for people like Kevin that put it out there, help us to think more clearly and just achieve more as we're designed to do. And I hope that you'll check out his book, What Drives You. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. Understanding what drives you will help you get that done starting today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.